What do you want? We are so used to fighting against something. Um, many of us don't have the skills to fight for something. And so making sure that we're not just trying to undo the bad stuff, but we're actually trying to create the systems that we all need to thrive. So first of all, imagining the future that we want, um, and then really trying to figure out how do we get from here to there? I think this is an opportunity to ask for it all. You know, I was listening last night to Oprah's special, um, and one of my favorite writers, Charles Blow said, if the cost is our life, ask for everything. Hey you, this is Takima and welcome to Converge for Change, the business of social justice podcast. Each week we discuss what's really happening on the front lines for racial, social, and economic justice and highlight the amazing grassroots leaders across our communities doing the deep work of freedom. But don't get it twisted, we keep the conversation all the way real. Whether you're a fellow justice warrior or looking to better understand what's happening behind the veil, we unpack it here. Who am I, you ask? I'm the owner of Converge, a social justice consulting firm whose purpose is to accelerate the creation of a radically just new world. I'm Catherine's granddaughter, a mother of two boys, your East Coast round the way homegirl, and a proud Howard University graduate. Most importantly, I'm a Black woman, a leader in my community, and justice is my legacy. So let's get in this. Welcome back, friends, to Converge for Change the Business of Social Justice. Thank you. You are joining us this week, week two, to talk more with our guests um, about the impact of race, COVID-19, incarceration, and the current uprisings we're experiencing across the country. So this week, we're continuing our conversation about race, COVID-19, and incarceration, as well as the uprisings that we're experiencing across our country. Last week, I was joined for the conversation by Will Snowden from the Vera Institute for Justice. Will and I talked a lot about this notion of public safety um, that's really being challenged right now during COVID-19. We also talked about what's happening in terms of the movement around money bail, um, and how this movement is beginning to catch fire across our country where folks are really understanding that folks should not remain in prison because they are um, too poor to make bail. We had another conversation really that gets to the heart of this conversation about incarceration, which is, you know, what is the purpose of our system? And can we imagine something else, something that is not built on punishment, but really truly built on public safety? So this week, we continue our conversation with Fox and Rob Rich, um, affectionately known uh, to everyone as Fox and Rob. I count them amongst my closest friends. Sybil Fox and Rob Richardson are a popular New Orleans-based couple who have endured and survived 21 years as an incarcerated family. In 1997, Rob Rich, a first offender in Louisiana, was sentenced to 61 years as a result of overzealous prosecution. Not to be denied, after her release from prison in 2002, Fox Rich led a valiant charge to regain her husband's freedom. In June 2018, Governor John Bell Edwards granted clemency to Rob. 90 days later, he was released. The family's mess turn message focuses on the two greatest challenges facing the Black family since Jim Crow. 
mass incarceration, and marital instability. Not only are they empowering others with their words, they are also allowing their experiences to serve as a demonstration that love is possible for all who seek it. The couple uses their platform, PDM NOLA, to train families to speak truth to power and defend their loved ones ensnared in the criminal legal system. They are leading voices in the global movement to end mass incarceration. Most importantly, they are the proud parents of six impressive and handsome sons. I am so excited to introduce my next guest to Converge for Change, the Business of Social Justice podcast. I consider them friends and family, certainly strong voices in the fight for social justice and criminal legal reform. They are famously known as Fox and Rob. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Takima, you never cease to amaze me. Well, you know, I'm used to being on the other side with you all as the interviewers. So this is great <laughs> to have a little role reversal. Um, but, you know, this is a family conversation. And the whole purpose of this show is to invite folks into um, really a behind the scenes conversation about how social justice happens. For many of us, what's happening right now in the country is, is another day at work. We've been doing this work. We have been, you know, laying the bricks. We've been building the infrastructure for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in respect to the moment that we're in, um, I just want to stop and make some space for you all to reflect on where are you today, um, a week post George Floyd's horribly recorded death. Uh, I think probably one of the things that would come to mind is our son Remington called today. Uh, Remington is the second oldest of our six boys. And he says that he was, uh, you know, doing his daily run uh, in the park. He uh, has two semesters left to get his degree in dentistry. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's out for his run. And he says, you know, before I knew it, I became overwhelmed with emotion mm -hmm. and, uh, and began to cry as I was thinking about just, having the freedom to run. Um, I, I think one of the other things that stands out most in this time to me is a quote that I, a young woman made in uh, Milwaukee. And she said, we're going to be free. We're going to walk these streets free. Mm -hmm. And that piece with my son saying today about him being moved as he thought about all of what was going on while he ran and what the meaning of running you know, is all about um, the historical context of running when it comes to our people. Um, and so, you know, that just begins it, but I'm, I'm more inspired than ever before that we are touching people in a different way and people are being open to understand. And um, at the end of the day, I believe that right is going to prevail, mm -hmm. that love will prevail. Mm -hmm. The strongest force in the universe. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. As a dad, where are you today, Rob? Um, the minute that you brought the question up, I, my mind went to the same place that Fox's went to, um, and that was the call that we had received earlier um, from uh, our son Remington. And then immediately, you know, as I'm, you know, kind of processing things through, uh, wanting to give, you know, the, the best or the most sound advice as possible, because I know that, um, you know, when it comes to that, as a person that is his age, uh, you're talking about in your mid-20s, um, you know, 
there's a fire that, that that's roaring on the inside, you know, um, because uh, a certain level of maturity has not yet been met, um, you know, and, you know, you kind of want to get out there and you want to you want to be involved or you're questioning about how are you involved and should you be more involved. So, you know, just when it comes to that, my thing is trying to make sure that the uh, excitement that comes from uh, our news broadcast that, that, you know, news is designed to provoke. You know, and when it comes to that, I need to make sure that, you know, my son um, and those that I'm able to touch, you know, that they're not provoked in a way that they, um, you know, miscalculate, you know, Absolutely. if you work, uh, and do something rash or something, you know, that, um, you know, that could cost them, you know, in the, uh, in the long haul. But um, I am totally elated about the, um, the, um, the level of, um, of protest Disruption. that we see right now. Yeah. And, um. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's amazing. You know, mm -hmm. when I looked and saw the uh, people spread out over the, uh, I guess that was the Portland Bridge. Yes. Uh, oh man, that was that was totally amazing. Take your breath oh, away. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That was interesting choice of words. Um. Hmm. So I want you all to to can you put all of this in context for the audience? Tell us a little bit about who you are. You share with us. Um, Remington's experience, but you all are the parents of many boys. So <laughs> maybe share a little bit of, about your family and your family's journey um, and really put what we're experiencing today in the context of y'all's own journey. Hmm. Well, I guess all you take into consideration that Fox and I are a uh, formerly incarcerated couple of 21 years before we uh, received clemency in 2018, uh, we know all too well, you know, um, the uh, the drive and, and determination that it takes to fight back against injustice, you know, um, and injustice in any form, you know, um, Louisiana leads the uh, world in incarceration. Um, and with that being said, uh, we also have a peculiar past mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to uh, the issues of uh, race, you know, uh, in our in our our state in particular, and uh, we have not gotten away yet from you know a lot of those uh, old thinkings, you know, and um, but to see that 21 years, well, 23 years now into the future, being you know that I've been home now almost two years. Wow, um, yeah, after COVID party, freedom party. Right. <laughs> Definitely. So to be able to see, you know, the people take to the street um, and, you know, let their voices be heard, you know, and uh, and not you know, uh, just lay back and lay down, you know, to see that we're 20 years into the future from 1997 when I first went to prison, you know, that we are milestones ahead of, you know, where we were, say, 20 plus, you know, years ago. I think uh, our... Um, our, uh, not just our ancestors, but uh, our older people. I think that they would be proud of what has come up Absolutely. out of uh, the culture of hip hop. You know, and uh, when you think about it, it was kind of our movement. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When it came to uh, the issues of culture and race and politics, and you know, uh, we had a certain kind of swag that we came to the table with. You know, and uh, but to see that you know we have been able to take um our information you know when you think about hipping people or whatever and then hopping you know making action you know on your movements you know you get a good understanding right. i hear that i saw that right there uh, <laughs> hip-hop I, I like that right, you know? 
<laughs> and um, so, you know, but just being able to see that and then to see where we are right now um, in the wake of uh, uh, George Floyd. You know, yeah, so, uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited about the times that we're in. Absolutely. Well, what's really important about this show is we get to share with the audience the work that some of the most amazing social justice leaders around the nation are doing. Um, and before this uprising, this particular uprising, you all um, have been holding the ground on a movement around clemency. Can you talk about that work and the work that you're doing to make sure families have the information that they need to fight for their loved ones? Um, yeah, I'm just, you just say like magic words. I'm just so full, full on the inside of me. <laughs> it doesn't take much to bring me to tears, especially when you get talking about this work and no matter how tired I am or how full I am from, you know, just being overwhelmed with how much we must do. Um, every time I get an opportunity to share what we have learned with others, I get excited about it. What we are doing is um, when Rob came home in 2018, we started an organization called Participatory Decent Movement, NOLA, PDM NOLA for short. And um, we train families how to advocate for their loved ones. We teach legal awareness as a best form of defense to justice-involved citizens in New Orleans and, and across the state of Louisiana. And so we, um, we give people the ammunition to believe in their matter, no matter what the courts say or the documents say, that their lives are worth saving and, uh, and that they have a right. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. It is um, Asada Shakur's um, quote that we say every time we have a hub meeting, but we pull families together once a week on Thursdays. Now we're meeting by Zoom and we just um, give them skills and tactics to use in order to fight for their freedom um, because we know that our system is heavily stacked to incarcerate our families. It has been specifically designed to do so, to target us, to capture us, and then to hold us until Absolutely. the end. Um, and so um, with participatory defense, one of the big measures that we're looking to push for is clemency, um, especially when you consider um, the non-unanimous jury verdict that existed for over 113 years, 16 years in Louisiana, uh, where we knew we were the only state in the country sending people to jail without a unanimous for life. Right. And so when you know that that has existed for over a hundred years, how can you, you don't not proactively do right? And you mm -hmm. don't go back and fix those people. You right. know the harm. How despicable is that? How right. despicable is the <laughs> meaning is that, right? Absolutely. Uh, and so you know you've done harm and you don't go back to fix it, but clemency is the way, the process. We don't have to pass any more legislation, no laws. Right now, our governor has enough applications on his desk that he can use his pen and create as much systematic change and release that he did with the whole 2017 judicial and, um, package, right. investment package. Because at the end of all of those shenanigans, 
and going on and meetings and town halls, they only decreased the prison population by 1% for the next 10 years to be 10%. Right. Well, 1% and then filled it back up with right. ice detainees. And then to bring it back to where we were. Yes, right. yes, yes. That yes. part. And so we're saying that, you know, clemency is an avenue that we can right wrongs. The governor has 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 failed to release our people during COVID-19 and he had a promise to do so and he had an opportunity to do so when he didn't need anybody else's permission to do so. And he has yet not done it. Right, right. So we are advocating from PDM NOLA on behalf of Fox and Rob, we know that clemency worked because restoring Louisiana families, it just makes sense to Kima. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to know more about a particular person. I know you all have been doing and carrying the banner for um, Louisiana's longest serving serving woman, Mama Glow. Can you all tell us a little bit about her story? Mama Glow called us tonight and I was had just come back from the grocery store. <laughs> so when I get on the phone, when I walk down to the grill, Rob was cooking for us. Um, so when I returned, I hear this woman's voice on the phone and he just smiling. I say, who got him smiling like that? And it ain't man smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I could understand why, because it was none other than Mama Glow calling mm-hmm. to let us know that um that she is progressing um well in our health and that you know um that COVID tried to take her life. Um she is Louisiana's longest serving woman in 1997. She and two other people attempted to rob a corner store with a toy gun. The store operator pulled out his weapon and in the tussle he had he he lost his life. And um the um, woman that was in the tussle with him, she passed in prison 15 years ago. The gentleman that was um, in the uh, involved in the incident with them, the, the mastermind, he received clemency under the governor, Edwin Edwards, in 1987 because he was the governor's cook, a job that is not available or allowed for the women. For women. Mm. Still to this day. Women can't, we can't go cook for the governor. So we can get out. Um, and so, um, sorry, just to say something for those folks who do not know, here in Louisiana, the service folks at the governor's mansion are um, inmates at Engel. You're incarcerated citizens. Incarcerated citizens serving a sentence at Angola who serve inside the governor's. Yeah. And so, Oh, yes, ma'am. So Gloria Dean Williams is age 74 years old. She's Louisiana's longest serving mother, grandmother, great grandmother. Uh, She has done 50 years behind bars. And last July, with the efforts of PDM NOLA, the Promise of Justice Initiative, um, the graduates vote, um, just all of the community that came together to support her clemency application, she received a unanimous favor favorable recommendation from the Louisiana Board of Pardons. Even Robin get unanimous to kill him. I'm just just saying, not only did she get a unanimous recommendation from the board, but the warden told the board that she was a pillar of the LCIW community. 
And so we have waited for almost a year now for the governor to sign her clemency application. And in the midst of waiting, she contracted COVID-19 because of course, the women's prison she comes from has the highest rate of infection of prisons in the state. She spends three weeks fighting for her life in ICU with, with her coding twice. And she says she heard them say, put her over there in the corner. She's not going to make it till in the morning. And she said she opened her mouth and she shouted. (laughs) And they couldn't believe she talked. You have to put that in context because Mama Girl is a feisty woman, even at 74. (laughs) Well, I I cannot wait to meet her. We cannot wait to meet her. In so order for that to happen, we need yeah, the governor's signature. We need That's the right. governor's signature. So we've been asking people, um, we reached out to the Louisiana Black Caucus today for them to say that they are familiar, or they have they are in talks with the governor in regards to it. Now mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like smoke, but that I, I, I've seen smoke before, and I'm hoping it's not smoke. I'm hoping that they, you know, they really meant that they they. And I don't know why it's taking so long. What we got to talk about? Some folks, we might need to make some calls. Fifty years. COVID nineteen. She did fifty years. Right. And she got a unanimous recommendation. What more we need to know? So uh, we're hoping that we can get some swift action in her matter, so that we can bring her home to her five children that are waiting on her. And I most I met Mama Glow when I was serving time in prison. Uh, Many people don't know that. Um, not only did Rob do 21 years, um, but I was facing 40 years uh, incarcerated and ended up taking a plea deal with a private attorney and uh, got a a two seven-year sentences and one five-year sentence run together and spent two and a half years behind bars and then came home to the family. I met Mama Glow while I was at LCIW. Mm -hmm. and, uh, And she was a legend when I met her there in 2000. And um, and her name still lives on so much so that not only do the do the women of LCIW call her Mama Glow, even the staff and the security refer to her as Mama Glow. So that just speaks volumes about this this woman. And after all of that PDM NOLA uh, work, uh, PJI uh, graduates and all of that, even the doctors that worked on her yeah. referenced her as Mama, Mama Glow. <laughs> <laughs> She got her Chick-fil-A sandwich when she came to me. said, what you want to eat? Because I'm going to get you anything you I want. I love it. I love yeah. it. She just yeah. sounds like every, all of my aunties, Everybody my mom. mamas, you know, my grandmothers. That is who she sounds like. And yeah. um, I hope we can get the message out about how folks can support this particular work. Um, and so just remind us now, and I know we'll do it again later, how exactly can folks get connected to you all and get involved, particularly around uh, Mama Glow's clemency work? If they do hashtag free Mama Glow, we post all of our information there um, for what, you know, the, the work that we're doing, following the work that we're doing with Mama Glow. They can always reach out to us on social media, on Instagram and all social media. We're um, Fox and Rob. Um, and our website. So either one of those has a number, you know, and there is no help that is too much help. <laughs> we welcome all help, you know? So, um, yes, and, and it's just, um, 
It's a gift that keeps on giving. When you are of service to others, the universe holds true to its word. It only gives back to us what we've given to it. You will reap what you sow. You cannot help someone else and not find your, and find yourself in need and not receive that help back. Absolutely. So I've got one more question and then we're going to do our rapid fire segment. Um, so something I know that maybe a lot of folks don't know, particularly about you, Rob, is that recently you graduated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got to stand. I got to stand in the stairs. I was good. I didn't. I didn't scream. Um. Uh, and so, you know, I think many of us today are searching for um, some grounding around all of what we're experiencing. I just caught the telling of Reverend Barber um, on MSNBC, really putting some of this stuff into spiritual terms, really talking about, you know, the spiritual element of our fight for freedom um, mm -hmm. and really helping folks understand, you know, Rosa Parks was responding to Emmett Till, her activation. Um, you know, the activation of of many has often come through the death of someone like, you know, the girls in Birmingham and that bombing or the young men who were drowned in Mississippi ignited Freedom Summer. So is there some perspective you have um, really, you know, from a different space around how you see all of this? that's occurring around us and what you think we should hold on to in the midst of this? Hmm. I would venture um, to say that it, it kind of reminds me of a conversation I was having uh, with one of our other sons, uh, uh, Freedom, earlier, as it related uh, he and one of his uh, friends, uh, Josh. And it was about a conversation um, to a young lady who was in, the, uh, in Central Park uh, she called the police on on a guy that was bird watching and in essence said that she she was being threatened and she was uh needing help and needed them to come uh stop this big bad guy right mm -hmm. and it took me all the way back to the story of joseph uh in the bible um and at one moment um joseph was accused of um of uh, miss miss uh, being uh, inappropriate with the king's wife right uh, with that being said uh, she she sought to bring charges on him. Uh, fortunately, uh, there was some you know rhyme and reason in it all or whatever, and they were able to come to the conclusion that there was no way that Joseph could have been the aggressor in a situation like that, seeing as the fact that the garment that had been torn was That's torn right. from the back. So because it was torn from the back, he had to actually be in you know leaving in order for that. So what it led led me to uh, pull from that uh, Takim is just that. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. so everything that has been, that is, is always going to be. So we just always know that we have to stand up against injustice no matter where we see it at. Um, whether it's, you know, uh, somebody going in in order to free captives, you know, uh, out of uh, the land of Egypt, you know, or wherever it is, we always got to be um, ready and eager uh, mm. to right wrongs, you know, uh, when we see them happening. You know, and um, and especially when they're happening to the least of us, because those of us who have education, those of us who have these experiences and mm -hmm. the know-how to bring and to uh, facilitate change, mm -hmm. we have a duty and an obligation Absolutely. to reach back to those 
that are least than us, those that are incarcerated, mm -hmm. those that find themselves in bondage, those that find themselves, uh, in, you know, up and up against trumped up charges. But, but baby, say that piece that you said in Mama Bowles, you, did, you said um, to those that have strength have a duty to right. be strong for those who do not. And what, what good is your wealth if you're not there to help right. somebody else with it? Exactly. So when it comes to those different things or whatever, like I said, it's no good to have all of these things if you're not going to be able to give it. Uh, to those to that don't it. have it, yeah. you know, so uh, since Fox and I uh, came up out of this situation of incarceration, our whole thing has been about trying to use the freedom that we now have to give back to uh, to that of others, because yet again, like I said, it's, it's just age old. Absolutely. Um, you know. <laughs> and I know it's every it's every single day with you all and not just the two of you, but your entire family. You engage mm -hmm. them in the fight for freedom. Um, I needed that word, Reverend. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, thank you all uh, for your attendance at the graduation. That was the oh, most uh, coming. <laughs> it was an honor. It I was, was so an honor to be the there. Family were able to uh, share that, uh, that that really special moment for me. Absolutely. After the so, thing is over, you know, uh, drinks on me. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I want to, we're going to do our rapid fire questions now. I know you all have um, to transition. So we have three questions that we try and ask all our guests at the end. We're just interested in different people's take and views. So they're just short answers. Um, so I'm going to ask a question, um, ladies first. Mm -hmm. And um, so Fox will answer and then Rob, you'll follow up with your, your answer. Okay. Ladies all right. So how would you define freedom? Whew. I thought you were going to ask some easy questions, <laughs> like my favorite food. How would I define freedom? Uh, freedom is the ability to guide and control my own existence. Um, that, that's freedom to me. Mm -hmm. Rob. Mm -hmm. I think freedom uh, for me is having uh, having the ability to choose mm -hmm. absolutely. for yourself. Absolutely. Uh, what inspires you to keep fighting? Because uh, giving up is not an option. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I want to leave my name in the annals of history somewhere. And in order to do that, I mean, I got to beat out about 7 billion other people to, you know, get something in the, in history, right? Uh, and because my people are worth fighting for, mm -hmm. that Black people may be a hard people to love. That's what one of my customers told me when I needed to fix the brakes <laughs> on his, his new car. He had his new car. Black people are hard people to love, but it's necessary. <laughs> and so I just think that um, because my people are beautiful people, uh, people of color all over this world. And to love them sometimes is challenging, but it's so necessary. Mm -hmm. And so rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's some good love. That's some good love. <laughs> so we have, we're over here messing. This is supposed to be rapid fire. All right, <laughs> Rob, what inspires you to keep fighting? Uh, achievement. Uh, once I'm able to accomplish something, it, it means that I need to do something else. Uh, so every time I think that I achieve something, I'm inspired um, 
to, you know, keep going, you know, in that, in that direction. Uh, we got Mama Glow, uh, a favorable recommendation, you know, um, that inspired us to say, okay, well, we got to get the signature now, you know, after the signature has got, you know, we got to tell the story. So it means, you know, some things got to keep happening based upon each accomplishment that we made. Sign the paperwork, sir. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Last. Fox, who is your personal hero? Or Shiro. My personal hero or Shiro. You know, I just had the answer for this question the other day. That is so crazy you asked me that. And I forgot what of. Rob, you want to say Fox? Or you why you want to get us give you a second to think yeah, of no, <laughs> That's so wrong. That's so wrong. My favorite hero or Shiro. Um it, it will probably be it will probably it will probably be a tie between my mother and Rob. Um, because they have just both been incredible people to watch and to learn from. And um, my mother, because she taught me how to speak and she taught everybody in our neighborhood, in our church, how to speak. And, um, and, and because of that, I've been able to speak, speak clearly about my, my community's pain and agony and needs and wants and so um and then rob rob is a family man and uh, it has just been absolutely uh, a joy to watch him build our to help build to to lead in building our family from the ground up and protecting it even when it was in the midst of hell for 21 years mm. um, that's just not some ordinary stuff you know uh, it takes a whole lot of depth and, and, and I think um, calling from on high to set that kind of example. Yeah. He all right, though. I'm just saying. <laughs> he kind of cute, too. He kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last but not least, who is your personal hero, Rob? Wow. I hate that this has to uh, only be one person. Um, but I would have to say that my mom is probably my personal hero. The reason that she is my personal hero is because she is the first, she is the person that taught me how to love. Mm -hmm. And it's because she's taught me how to love that when I met Fox for the very first time, I fell in love with her the moment that I met her. I'm talking about the moment that I saw her. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But it, had it not been for my mother being able to teach me uh, how to love and where to give my love, um, there's no way possible that she and Fox and I would share 33 years now in, uh, in union with one another and 23 years in matrimony to one another at the uh, taking of this interview. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Well, all I have to say is love is rich. Love is, love is rich. I like it. My love is rich. I'll write that down. I just I saw it on t-shirts. I that's for y'all. Y'all take that. Love is rich. I Thank like y'all so much for blessing me and oh, blessing the you. space we're trying to create. 
This is all about trying to really help folks humanize this movement, the people who are doing it every day, um, and to really be able to give information so folks can do their part yeah. in getting that signature. Yes, so, yes, love y'all. Thank you so much for joining me this week for the conversation with Fox and Rob Richardson. It was a powerful conversation. Um, and so as they mentioned, you can keep in touch with Fox and Rob on social media. So follow Fox and Rob one word on Instagram and Facebook. Again, it's at Fox and Rob one word. Instagram at PDM underscore NOLA. This is where you can learn more about the work that they're doing around clemency and the work specifically around Mama Glow. Lastly, you can find their website at www.foxandrob.com and you can email them at foxandrob at gmail.com. Hey y'all, if you're tuning in for your first episode, welcome. We're glad you joined us. We have one rule on this show though. You've got to be an active listener. I'm going to give you my personal number so you can text me directly. 504-676-5393. I want you to text the phrase QOTD to 504-676-5393. I want to hear from each of you about what you thought about today's show. So send in your QOTD, your question of the day, and let's keep the conversation going. So now it's time for Code Switch, where I get to recap the conversation and keep it real with you. So, you know, in this conversation, um, we talked a lot about Mama Glow. And I don't know about you, but she sounded to me like my auntie, my godmother, all the strong Black women in my family who raised me, um, many of whom uh, had to fight just for their existence and to support and sustain their families. Um, as we talked about in the last episode, no one should be judged forever by the worst decision of their lives. Um, we heard about Mama's Glo Mama Glow's freedom struggle. We heard about her unanimous decision with the parole board um, and the fact that the paperwork has been sitting um, and that the will of the governor is all we need, uh, the stroke of his pen to set her free. What was interesting to me is that there are many Mama Glows across our country, folks who are languishing behind bars um, that really beg the question, again, what is this about? Is this about public safety? Is this about punishment? Um, and what type of world are we creating with a system of justice that would have a woman spend an additional year behind bars and be um, susceptible to a pandemic? We also talked about uh, the work that they're doing in PDM NOLA. It is our duty to fight for freedom and it is our duty to win. It is so important that as we do this work of social justice, that we are arming everyday people with the tools that they need to fight for the freedom of their families. Uh, this work is remarkable. Folks are uh, armed with the tools to be able to navigate the justice system so that they, themselves and their families are not further ensnared and harmed um, and maimed by this brutal system. 
Lastly, I was really struck by the conversation about love, really putting into context all that we are experiencing, um, our fight for freedom, our fight to have our voices heard, um, that fighting is a form of love when you do so because you care deeply about uh, the people in your lives. Um, and you care deeply about this notion of freedom and the ability to choose and direct your own life. So thank you again for joining us, Fox and Rob. It was an honor to have this moment with you all in the middle of this moment. Um, and the thing I take away most from this conversation is love is rich. So this might turn into one of my favorite parts of the show just because I think women need to be lifted up and deserve so much love. I call this segment, Hey Sis, I See You. So every week I wanna highlight women in our community that are knocking down doors, breaking barriers, and taking names for the fight for racial, economic, and social justice. And this week, we would like to highlight our sisters at Daughters Beyond Incarceration. You can find them at www dbinola.com. And there you can learn how you can donate to the organization, become a mentor, become a mentee, or volunteer. And today, I really want to lift up founder and executive director and co-founder and director of operations, Dominique Jones and Bree Anderson. They have created Daughters of Beyond Incarceration to highlight the experience of young women whose parents are incarcerated with the vision that every daughter with an incarcerated father live in a healthy, stable home and have a strong, positive relationship with their father while he is incarcerated. This mission involves bridging the communication gap between fathers and their daughters as we reduce recidivism and help the fathers re-enter back into society. DBI offers this through education, mentorship, and support. Currently, they are working with over 70 mentees and have also done work um, in the policy space. As of May 22nd, they headed to the Senate. They are working on HB 729, authored by Representative Denise Marcel, to establish a council for the children of incarcerated parents and caregivers, and also to repair the termination of the children's cabinet. Due to COVID-19 and um, the limitations on visits, um, they are also working to ensure that all jails and prisons have access to video visitations through JPay, excuse me, and Securus. Um, and so this is the work that they are doing. And I would love if our audience and viewers, um, listeners, um, excuse me, can support this organization by, again, visiting their website at www.dbinola.com to learn more about the amazing work that Dominique and Bree are doing with Daughters Beyond Incarceration. So for our very, very first inaugural segment, I See You, Sis, today we want to lift up the work of Dominique and Bree and find ways to support them. So head over to their website. Again, it's www.dbinola.com to learn more and find ways you can support this amazing work.
Hey, y'all. So thank you again for joining us on Converge for Change, the Business of Social Justice podcast. So you may not have heard my initial episode where I had a chance to introduce myself, but for those of you all who don't know me, my name is Takima Robinson, and I am the founder and CEO of Converge. Converge is a social justice consulting firm based in New Orleans, Louisiana. We work all over the United States, and our vision and mission is to accelerate the creation of a radically just new world where communities of color thrive. I founded uh, Converge five years ago, and since then we've worked on many, many issues ranging from reproductive justice to criminal legal reform. We've worked um, to really direct philanthropy to fund grassroots social justice organizations doing great work in the organizing and advocacy space. Um, we've done, you know, work um, to really train folks on racial equity and help them strengthen their programs. So just a little bit of what we've done, and we'll be using the space of this podcast to share that work with you, but also share uh, the voices of the amazing partners that we get a chance to work with. So when I first visualized this podcast, I thought of it as a way to you know, share with you the work that we do at Converge and highlight the amazing people that we meet um, as we do that work. But as the weeks have passed, I've realized um, that I actually need to stop and really talk about what's happening in real time in our country. Little did I know that starting this podcast, we would be in the midst of uh, what I consider to be a revolution. So you know, I am a social justice warrior, I'm a business owner, but at the end of the day, I'm a mother of two boys. I am um, a fiance, I am a girlfriend, I am a black woman. So I wanted to sort of pause and talk a little bit about, you know, how I'm feeling and, you know, maybe be able um, to voice what many of us are holding in this moment. So I you know, got the idea of the, of doing this podcast, something we have been talking about for a while, and then COVID-19 hit. Um, so with a little bit more time on my hands than normal, you know, just sitting around and observing what was happening around COVID-19, you know, I think like many people of color, many Black people, you know, I was deeply, deeply hurt um, that as soon as the numbers came out on who the virus was disproportionately impacting, we saw, you know, elected officials across the country calling to reopen, right? You know, and just sitting with the fact that people of color, Black people in particular, are being disproportionately impacted. Our communities are being devastated, Um you know, people are dying. We have our businesses that are dying on the vine while we watch. And our country seems to be completely immune, impervious, and indifferent to Black pain. It was just so obvious to, to many folks. And then fast forward, you know, as we start to see the numbers decline across the country, we have this rash of police killings. Um, and it's been really interesting to been interesting to um, contrast that with the response to COVID nineteen. You know, it's almost as if 
we as a society have accepted um, that black people are going to get the short end of the stick and that's okay. And we can keep moving forward. Whatever it is, um, health, education, economics, criminal justice, right? That we've accepted this idea uh, that black people and people of color will be disproportionately negatively impacted. And we are okay with that. We can go back to business as usual because black people getting the short end of the stick is business as usual. And it's been interesting to contrast that with what we're seeing with these protests and the way in which George Floyd's um, death, you know, his murderer looking us in the face, you know, with um, with a, with a surety that he would not be he would not be uh, held to account for what he was doing in that moment, right? It was so clear. He looked at us into that camera um, and knew because that is the record, right? That he would not be held to account for his actions. And it's been interesting to see the way in which not only um, our country, but the world has has responded. You know, these protests, um, as folks are reporting, are extremely mixed. There's lots of different people, different colors, different genders, um, lots of folks who are participating in this. Um, and this is not happening just in, in Minneapolis, but all over our country and then all over our world. I was struck by the images of Paris and Tokyo and struck by folks who uh, were showing up for us in Palestine and, and folks in, in Britain, and that what George Floyd ignited um, was an international call to action and, you know, a fight for, you know, all of our humanity and dignity to be, you know, recognized by the state. Um, the affirmation that, you know, what happened was not right and that Black Lives Matter. So now we're at this place. Um, the, the protests continue. Um, and I think the organizing especially is continuing. And so now we're sitting with, so, so what? So now what? Um, where do we want this to lead? What um, should we be considering next? And also what's going to be required of us to get what we want? So I think that's the first thing that's really important and probably the cornerstone of our work at Converge is really helping people clarify, what do you want? What do you want? We are so used to fighting against something. Um, many of us don't have the skills to fight for something. And so making sure that we're not just trying to undo the bad stuff, but we're actually trying to create the systems that we all need to thrive. So first of all, imagining the future that we want um, and then really trying to figure out how do we get from here to there? I think this is an opportunity to ask for it all. You know, I was listening last night to Oprah's special um, and one of my favorite writers, Charles Blow said, if the cost is our life, ask for 
everything. I don't think this this is a moment where we should just be having a conversation about police reform. I don't think this is a moment just to have a conversation about criminal legal reform. I think we have to have a conversation about equity. And we have to have a conversation about the value of human life. And we have to have a conversation about how that valuing of human life creates racism in our country that we've embedded into every system and process. And like a good system or process, it continues to produce the same results, which is in equity based on race. So I think this is a converse, a time in our country where we have to revisit the foundation and the basics. And we have to you know, have hard conversations in every sector, in every institution, in every organization, inside every family about what do we believe and how do we show up for what we believe. So I think this is a time to demand it all, equity in education, equity in health, equity in business, equity in access to healthcare, equity when it comes to making people whole through real reparations, equity absolutely in criminal legal reform. But I think we have to have this conversation everywhere. Equity in terms of our philanthropic dollars and how we are distributing those, redistributing wealth to the communities of color um, it was extracted from in the first place, right? So if we are um, going to really use this moment for, you know, what I believe is possible, I think we have to make big ass. Um, so those are my thoughts. And I think that that's going to come with a sacrifice for everyone. Um, we are going, folks are going to have to sacrifice privilege and power. Um, and, you know, those of us who are, Black and people of color, we're going to have to make some sacrifices too um, to make sure that the demands we are making stick. I've been thinking about what this means for me at Converge, and I think it means a couple of things. First, it means stepping up and amplifying our voice through this podcast um, and using our resources to create this platform to, you know, bring forward the voices of amazing social justice leaders so that you all out there in the audience can learn about these folks and learn about how you can support them. So we're going to be adding an additional segment every week where our guests will be giving you tangible ways that you can step up through your philanthropy, whether it is your time, talent, or treasure to support these organizations. Um, and we're going to be making sure that that information stays available for you on the podcast website as in addition to Converge's main website on all of our social media channels. So we want to become a platform where those of you who are interested in supporting and connecting to this work um, can uh, be connected. We also um, are going to be more selective about where we put our time and energy, um, the types of clients that we take on, because we're interested in the business of social justice and getting this done. And so we're interested in partnering with those folks who are super serious about the work of anti-racism um, and the work of, of equity and justice. 
Um, lastly, you know, we uh, will continue to dig deeper to find ways within our means that we are prioritizing the support of Black, Brown, women-owned vendors and our company um, and continuing to encourage, you know, our other partners to do the same. I think, you know, many of us with just a little more intentionality um, can, you know, be thoughtful about how we spend our resources and how we continue to support Black and Brown businesses that are going to need us more than ever. Lastly, you know, I've been trying to think about what this means for my personal and my home life. You know, I talk a lot about self-care. It is a journey for me. There are times I am better at it than others. Um, but, you know, I think this is a moment where, you know, I am really trying to embody the idea that justice work is um, in how I raise my boys it is how I co-parent effectively. It is how I build a strong partnership with, um, you know, my partner in life. It is how I show up as a friend, but ultimately, you know, my wellness as a black woman is an act of justice. And so as I close this segment, I really want to share that with you all. I hope you all are taking good care of yourselves um, in the middle of a rapidly changing world. You know, this is not, um, hopefully this is not just a flashpoint, but this is the beginning of, of a marathon and we need you to be with us and we need you to be well for the fight ahead. So with that, um, thank you so much again for joining me this week. I look forward to having you back here next Saturday as we continue our series on race and incarceration. We're going to be joined by the amazing Dauphinette Martin and uh, Sarita Stieb from Operation Restoration. They're going to be sharing with us the work that they do there to support formerly incarcerated women. And you're going to learn more about how you can support um, that work. So thank you again. Please visit us um, at the Converge website um, and also make sure you subscribe um, to us on all the podcast channels. So that would be Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, you can find all that information on our website. We appreciate your support um, and take care. Bye-bye.